advertising, it's funny. I always say like, we're in this really rapid period of change and people around me say like, you, it's always in a rapid period of change. That's not a differentiator. Welcome to the Be Epic Podcast, brought to you by the Sam M. Walton College of Business at the University of Arkansas. I'm your host, Brent Williams. Together, we'll explore the dynamic landscape of business and uncover the strategies, insights, and stories that drive business today. Well, today I have with me Kaya Sansbury Carter, and Kaya is the Corporate Vice President for Microsoft Advertising and is a proud Walton College alum. So, Kaya, thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. I am thrilled to be here. We're excited to have you engaged. And well, one, um, what an exciting time I would think to be at Microsoft Advertising. And maybe just let's start there. Sort of like, uh, uh, tell us a little more about what you do at Microsoft. Sure. Um, and, you know, probably it's helpful to to tell you a little bit about my how I got here. <laughs> um from from my experience at the University of Arkansas. Uh, I have spent most of my career in technology and I got started in tech probably pre- pretty randomly, to be honest. Um, I didn't, it wasn't, wasn't the plan necessarily. Uh, but as I grew in tech, I uh, became more and more interested in getting closer to the customer, to the end customer, and in terms of how we use the internet to facilitate the engagement that we had with our customers. So that was at Compaq, uh, that was at um, Hewlett Packard, I worked at a startup. And the way that I came to Microsoft is that when I worked at a startup, I was running a whole product from sort of end to end on the business side, you know, doing market research, writing specs, doing business modeling, and I was also doing the marketing. And as a part of the marketing, we were doing some search marketing. And so I started learning about advertising and loved it, was super interested in it. And it was a huge growth space. And so I transitioned from more of a technology product angle in my career to moving into digital advertising. I worked at an agency managing um, a big team at an agency, and then was hired by Microsoft as Microsoft was building out an ad business. So that's how I got here 17 years ago. Um, and I've done pretty much all the things there are to be done, except for technical roles in the ads business. And in this role, running Microsoft Advertising, I look across all global sales, marketing, operations, support functions. Uh, and then work very, very closely with my engineering partner, who we jointly manage the business together, manage the PL together to monetize Microsoft's assets through advertising and to um, act as a monetization engine for the web for other companies as well. And so we have both a large, um, what we would call owned and operated business with MSN, with Bing, with Outlook, Xbox. Um, Skype and more. And then we also um, work with many, many partners um, outside of the company uh, as a monetization partner. And of course, many advertisers and brands around the world. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a very fun and interesting job, very intense, high paced, um, building a business that Microsoft is really interesting um, because building a business here that matters means it needs to get to be pretty big. And we're an $18 billion business now. 
and looking to grow and, and take share and become substantially more impactful in the industry. And so, you know, you mentioned the various if platforms as right or products uh, that Microsoft has. And so you're able to sell, I guess, uh, advertising on behalf of customers across all of those different products. Is that is that correct? Yeah, so we so we do a few different things. So we will go out and work with advertisers and agencies, ad agencies to buy inventory on our platform. Okay. So to find their audiences within the Microsoft ecosystem. Uh, and so that's a big part of what we do. And then we can also help them extend those audiences looking further across the web. And then we also work with publishers very closely who are looking to monetize their own content. And um, we are their ad tech partner. We bring them demand from the advertisers and agencies that we work with. Um, so we have, a, would say, a couple of different ways that we work with the industry um, to either find audiences where we are or to find their audiences elsewhere to, to expand from there. Now, was, um, you know, you, you found yourself in technology. Did you really have technology in your background academically? I, I, or did really that just kind of become the path and you grew and learned throughout your career? Honestly, it just became the path. Um, when I was at um, the U of A, I was focused on international business. That was my passion. Uh, and I had transferred. And so as a transfer student, I also had a bunch of other rigmarole uh, that I needed to, to deal with. So uh, but that was my that was my primary passion. And then I went and got an MBA also focused in international business. So my main focus was on how do how do I get into roles where I can be navigating complex global multinational dynamics on the business end of things. Uh, and that's both exciting, but also really, really broad because you could basically work anywhere and, and do anything as long as it was a uh, company that worked outside the U.S. Um, and so I ended up actually my first job out of grad school. I was in finance because I had loved my finance classes and I, I had a great learning moment, which was I was decent at finance in the classroom, but I was not it was not my talent uh, in the practical world. And I didn't love it. It did not love me. And so I just went looking for something else. And I applied for a job online in 1996. So as you can imagine, dial up, that was a really slow process. Yeah. <laughs> and somehow out of the mound of resumes, Compaq said, we want to hire you for a product marketing role. And I said, sounds great. And we moved to Houston. Mm -hmm. So the thing I would say, I think, about myself, but in general is like, I was willing to take risks and move away from what I studied to some degree from finance um, in order to go and find this global exposure and and technology is what found me and I found it and, and we really loved each other. So um, then I was on that path and it made sense. But no, I'm not a technologist. I'm not a technical person by trade or education. I think I have a passion for what technology helps us accomplish, and I have a passion for what technology helps us do in terms of drive impact at scale. Mm -hmm. So I've always really been drawn to that. And 
you can do a lot of really interesting multinational business in these spaces. And there tends to be a lot of building, you know, building a new business, a new product, a new capability, going into a new market. And I'm a builder. And so you sort of never seem to run out of opportunities to grow and continue learning. And yeah, that's why I've been at Microsoft for 17 years in the same business unit, mm -hmm. because I have never run out of interesting things to do where I'm growing and have an opportunity to take on more and and be ambitious about the impact that we're driving. And and so I've never seen any reason to leave. And, and they keep wanting me here, so I'll stick around. Mm. Well, it seems like it's been a really good fit uh, looking at your career trajectory. You know, digital advertising, you know, over the last, uh, you've been in it for many years now. Um, you've seen it, I know, evolve probably rapidly at times, maybe rapidly now. I'd love to have your view of how you see it evolving and changing and maybe even what are some of the things you're excited about for the future? Yeah, definitely. It's like advertising, it's funny. I always say like, we're in this really rapid period of change. And people around me say like, you, it's always in a rapid period of change. That's not a differentiator. But it's in an interesting time right now because of a few different dimensions. You have, you have this time where we have more and more and more content creation on the web um, of all types, whether that's, you know, social media, whether it's uh, niche news outlets, whether it's, you know, creative type of stuff. Um, there's there's more and more content, which is great for consumers. Mm -hmm. And then there's also a need to support that content creation financially through either subscription models or through advertising. Mm -hmm. At the same time that that dynamic is happening where you need more advertising that works and that is effective and relevant for advertisers, you know, there are regulations are really changing the game. So you have a number of well-intended and I think directionally correct regulations mm. that are happening globally and locally that are driving pretty tectonic changes in how digital advertising is executed and how efficient it is for advertisers. So, so that's sort of an interesting um, juxtaposition, if you will. And then you add on generative AI really exploding, which is going to enable you know exponential steps forward in things like mass personalization of offers and ad copy and mass creative development where you could get one ad creative and I could get one and 10,000 other people could get their own based on what would make most sense to us so you have this this period that's that's happening or starting to kick off now that is going to drive this like really remarkable level of um, increased experiences for consumers, and it should be more efficient for advertisers, and it should drive improved outcomes for content owners, news publishers. So all of this is happening at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, and I think all of it together at the same time means that you advertising is in a period not of rapid change, which is generally what we would say, mm -hmm. but is in a true period of transformation. And our position from a Microsoft advertising perspective and, and, and as a partner of these primary stakeholders in the advertising ecosystem, you have consumers, you have advertisers and brands, and then you have publishers, is that these changes that, that we're driving and participating in um, should be grounded in purpose-driven transformation versus massive disruption. Hmm. 
because it feels like a very disruptive time and disruption can be great, but it also can be exhausting and take a lot of resources. And so you have companies, advertisers, brands, agencies, whoever, you know, they, they're tired. People are tired. They're spread thin. They're taking on new capabilities with fewer employees. The market needs are shifting and they're complex. And so we look at advertising shifting and say, okay, this is exciting. Transformation is exciting. How can we work together with our stakeholders to innovate with purpose versus to disrupt so that we can all come along on that journey in a way that's pragmatic and realistic? Um, and I think that is very helpful uh, in terms of us sort of speaking the same language with our clients, with our partners, um, and and working constantly to make sure that we're aligned versus off and running doing our own thing. What a, what a wonderful point and thought, and that is um, that that positioning of purposeful transformation. I'm sure it allows you to sort of ground yourself. It almost feels like it allows you to gather yourself in a in a space that I'm sure if you allow it to look chaotic could because there's so many options out there. But I assume that that's a way to really start getting alignment toward where you want to go together as partners. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and we view it as a, as a big part of sort of our brand promise is you know, absolutely we are innovative. We have the power of Microsoft behind us from a machine learning and an AI perspective. We have the power of Microsoft behind us in terms of running on trust and viewing privacy as a human right. And these are very important things to drive meaningful innovation. But grounding ourselves from a brand perception and a brand promise perspective in innovating with purpose does help us focus. And it also helps, I think, our clients feel like we're not disrupting for disruption's sake. We're not disrupting for our own sake and our own benefit, but we are looking at at how do we solve our joint problems and pursue our joint opportunities in ways that are purposeful for both of us. And it is very clarifying. Mm -hmm. The, yeah, the, uh, the societal benefit, if you will, uh, that, that advertising allows, um, I, I think is truly very purposeful. Um, and, and I can understand why, why you and your team would, would rally behind that purpose. Um, you know, you mentioned uh, AI, and, you know, it made me think about uh, how do you think we will see AI, conversational AI, um, really start to transform search marketing in the future? It probably already is, but what are some of the things you're seeing and interested in going forward? Yeah, it's... Uh, it's an exciting time to be in this job. I'll I'll be honest. Um, you know, there's not always something so exciting going on as the entire world changing. So I feel very lucky to be in this job, particularly in this moment. And I'll start with saying, you know, we're in a period of learning, both both internally and together with our clients and partners. So I think the definitive answer on how AI will say will change search marketing is is somewhat of an evolving topic. Um, which makes it both really exciting. It also makes people a little bit nervous about the unknown. But but I, I constantly feel like it's important to sort of state that we're not in a place of definitive knowledge. We're in a place of evolving knowledge. Um, I'd, I'd categorize the 
change that we are seeing and that we anticipate continuing to see really in three areas. One is around the consumer behavior and consumer experience. One is around the advertiser opportunity. And, and then the third is around the publisher evolution and how publishers are engaging. And we're seeing probably the most on consumer behavior because that's sort of the tip of the spear on this. But um, when you think about consumers engaging with search, which is now not a new thing, that's a very standard thing that people do if they have broadband access. Um, but it, a few things that we're observing that will drive change include things as basic as like search queries. If you go into Bing, uh, you your search queries are become becoming longer and more conversational, mm -hmm. and that makes sense. I mean, you would anticipate it if you've used chat, um, but it's been interesting to see in practice. So you previously, I might have gone in and typed. Uh, like three words to try and explain what I'm what I'm trying to accomplish. And now I'll type like three sentences yeah. that really get extremely precise on what I'm trying to do. So that that's the first thing. We're also, I think, naturally seeing more queries in the form of a question. And so you're you're seeing people behave a bit differently there, which enables a lot more as an advertiser because you understand actually, and it, of course, enables a lot for for Microsoft advertising because we understand what someone's actually looking for so we can provide it to them and provide a better experience. Um, we're also seeing uh, the consumer decision journey like that you can see online um, has more searches and more breadth because it's easier to, to converse, essentially, um, so that you don't get annoyed and walk away and go into a store. You... You keep asking questions and keep refining your understanding, but we're seeing that the the length of time in that decision journey from starting to do some high end or high funnel level research to actually like making a purchase decision is decreasing. So that is really interesting. If you're let's say in the the automotive industry, if that decision journey goes from a couple months where you do a ton of research and you go to some dealerships and you test drive some cars and then you do more research and, you know, whatever your process is, and it goes down to a few weeks, that's really substantial shift in terms of the role that search marketing can play. Obviously, it's only one piece in terms of all the forms of advertising that exist, but it's really interesting. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot going on on the consumer side um, as well. Um, from an advertiser perspective, you know, it's very much, it's, it will change many, many, many things. Um, there's the ad units that can be offered that will change and the way in which consumers are engaging with those ad units, of course. But there's also, uh, I was mentioning before, the opportunity to drive mass personalization. Mm -hmm. And, and so if you're a brand and you're trying to tell your story or make an offer to, Kaya, that is not the same offer that you are going to be interested in. Mm -hmm. Right now, we're both going to probably see a similar offer. Maybe they'll be geographically diverse, but we're probably similar in age and, you know, how we, the things that are happening in our lives. And so we're going to see the same type of demographically oriented offer versus an opportunity to show me something that really works for me 
and show you something that really works for you to show me a creative that will resonate for me and you, you know, want a different one and 10,000 other people a different one. So there are some pretty substantial shifts that AI will bring that are really very exciting when you think about where you apply your talent, that you can apply them to higher order work that's more valuable, more interesting, drives better outcomes, and get this incredible outcome for your customers. Um, so it's really, really exciting. Um, and we also see a lot of interesting outcomes on the publisher side of things where, you know, people are investing tremendous amounts of money creating great content and great experiences and having an opportunity to monetize that in different ways uh, that make sense in the context of a given publisher, a given vertical. Um, so I think I could talk about this for days, but the short answer is it will it will change everything, but it won't necessarily be overnight because the consumer has to change first yeah yeah do, do you well you've already you answered this uh, to some degree you know the consumer is changing the way they're engaging with search did did you has there been a change happening over time and then maybe you know the um i guess the the launch of publicly available chat tools have really caused that to explode. Did you already see some of these trends and have they increased with like, for example, you know, the release of chat GPT earlier in the year? Uh, not to my knowledge okay. in terms of the, what we look at. No, I wouldn't say that we were seeing some of these trends. Um, the technology, I think the way that search grew up created an unnatural inorganic behavior, right? Like the way that you typically have searched and then you see 10 blue links and, you know, we've been on Bing, we've innovated on those 10 blue links quite a bit, but the way that you search was ground into you. Mm -hmm. And so people started to search in a way that is not how they would have actually asked a question. Mm -hmm. So this is Kaya's opinion. This is not Microsoft well-researched opinion, but in that construct, it feels like we're going back to what what is more natural and is, of course, more conversational. Um, but the technology needed to enable it by by creating a good outcome. Because if you use the traditional surge, you know, as I play around with this a lot, put something in chat, and then to put the same query in in traditional surge, you know, you do not get at all the same type of outcomes. Yeah. And so they're actually both very valuable. Mm -hmm. If I want something really, really simple, I still use the traditional search route because it's easy and it's fast. Mm -hmm. If I want something that I don't think is simple and that really requires me to provide more detail, then I use chat. And so that I think is another interesting behavior that we're seeing is you you come for chat potentially because it's cool and it's exciting and it's different, but you will end up using both. And and that's also really empowering for consumers, which is that we're not saying now shift over here and only do this. We're yeah. saying this is really great in certain scenarios and we're going to make it a great experience for the consumer. We're going to help advertisers make money from it. We're going to make sure publishers benefit but this is also super valuable. And so let's not lose sight of this. And together they are powerful. 
Uh, I love that. It's it's an and between between the tools um, that we can customize as we learn as consumers. You know, when you uh, one thing I was wondering as you were talking, maybe particularly let's let's focus on advertisers. Uh, it seems like you know there's a lot of options out there. Uh, and how do you help advertisers really understand the value that they're creating through your platforms? I'm assuming uh, closed loop reporting and analytics are a, a key way to do that. But just what's the what's really important to advertisers as they think about why do I want to partner with Microsoft advertising to reach consumers? Yeah, it, well, it's the million dollar question, of course. There is a lot out there, and um, and we look at it. I mean, certainly, if you get down to the very tactical and practical levels, you know, having all of the right type of measurement and attribution reporting and um, tools that help advertisers build confidence that they're seeing outcomes from the money that they're spending. Of course, th those are table stakes mm -hmm. for even being in the conversation, you know, viewability, those types of things. If, if you're coming and you don't have that, then that is a very difficult conversation to even be to even get to the table and and be in the actual dialogue. But I think, you know, at sort of the higher order, like why do business with Microsoft advertising, we look at it as you know, we have something that no one else offers in the market. And breaking that down into its component parts um, and helping advertisers understand that and then helping them understand how they would execute within that ecosystem is the story that we have to tell. But but we believe that we have something that no one else offers in the market in terms of the um, breadth and depth of our ecosystem um, from an audience perspective. If you look across what Microsoft brings into the market, the users of those, those products and the audience that that creates for us is incredibly powerful. Um, that encompasses you know everything from Windows all the way to Xbox and sort of everything in between. Um, then if you drill down a little bit into how we bring that to life, you know, we have full funnel marketing solutions that cross every channel, every segment, we're global. But that audience piece is the big piece in terms of, you know, no one else has this because at the end of the day, advertisers, brands, agencies are looking for how can I find my valuable audience as much of it as possible um, in a reputable environment that is privacy first, that cares about my data, that that is less, you know, not so focused on making their own money that they will, you know, make decisions that are bad for my business. And then how do I bring that to life in an efficient way that works within my ecosystem so that I don't have to like hire a whole new team to work with Microsoft or to work with whoever. Um, and then of course it has to perform. And, and those are the table stakes. But I, I think that that's really, that's where I have our team focused is telling that higher order story and making sure that advertisers see that value that we can bring that is really unique. Um, if you look from, you know, from Windows to, uh, to having a news publisher with MSN, to having a social business network with LinkedIn, to having a retail media platform, to having Outlook, to having Xbox as a gaming platform, to having Bing as a search engine. Like you keep adding these pieces. We 
We've acquired several companies in the last few years that have really uh, brought a lot to our um, tech stack so that we can execute in ways that make sense for advertisers. And then at our core, you know, we are an advertising business. So we have all of these other pieces that make sure that it is performant, which is, of course, at the end of the day, what is going to bring that advertiser back to do it again. Uh, so it's it's all of that. And and we are, I think, right now in a really interesting place around telling that story and having all those pieces together in the same place. Well, it is truly an amazing suite of products that you get the chance to uh, uh, to provide to the advertisers. Um, truly amazing opportunity. Well, you know, we started a little bit with your journey to to where you're at today. And maybe just a slight twist on that, you know, as you've gone through this career journey, um, I might get you to reflect a little bit on a couple of questions. And the first is just like, how have you seen your leadership style develop? Uh, and, uh, and who are you as a leader that's leading a really large business and assumedly a, a pretty large team? Yeah, it's it's been an interesting journey. I think lots of people, and I certainly always thought this about myself, have some natural leadership skills or or interests at least. Um, and then, of course, you need some actual experience to help you bring those skills to life and and really develop them. I think you know my leadership style has changed probably the most dramatically from leading by doing versus, you know, leading by coaching and enabling and empowering. And of course, you have to do that as you scale. That's mm -hmm. um, impossible to be effective as you scale if you don't make that change. But but I started making that change much earlier when I was managing smaller teams by just seeing that leading by doing doesn't really resonate mm -hmm. with people. People don't feel empowered to grow if you step in front of them to do it for them and then hope that they learned. And, you know, I remember I worked at Piggly Wiggly when I was in high school, which people outside the South would not know Piggly Wiggly, but I'm sure you do. I absolutely um, and, do. <laughs> and I, I had this really distinct memory of um, we had someone new who had started who was older than I was by probably, I don't know, four or five years, maybe. And, and her, the age is only important in that I'm sure she had lots of wisdom and capabilities that I didn't have because I was 16 and um, I was training her and I just kept stepping in front of her and doing things at the cash register. And finally, she was mature enough to say, this is not helpful to me. Hmm. I need you to teach me so that I don't need you anymore and I can do my job by myself. And so even from the earliest of times, I think you you receive leadership lessons from people that consistently say, help me be great so we can be great. And that that has been probably my biggest life's learning because I have a bias for action. I like to get things done. Mm -hmm. I don't mind rolling my sleeves up. And so at each stage of leadership, as I take on a bigger team or broader scope or more global or whatever it might be, there's a need to continue reinventing yourself in that way. And, you know, I lead a team of about 1,500 people. I can't obviously roll my sleeves up and do everything. That would both be 
ridiculous and also me failing to do my job effectively. Mm -hmm. um, but I need to roll up my sleeves sometimes mm -hmm. and do some things. And so finding that right balance and building an environment or cultivating an environment where people feel valued and empowered and like they will receive coaching where it's okay to take risks and to fail and to try again has been an evolution that I have been very aware of um, because I've been, I've had the gift of lots of feedback and, and lots of people in my life who've been willing to be super honest with me and say, Hey, these things work and these things don't. And, and a lot of them have been sort of on that, that trajectory and that topic. Well, Kaya, that resonates with me personally. Uh, just that that transition, you know, from uh, doer to leader actually can be a real challenging one. Uh, but but you're exactly right. You know, you, you do find I agree with you that you find that when you work on empowering and serving and helping and teaching uh, your team that you know, the, the multiplicative impact is so much greater than anything you could have done as a doer. That becomes very, very rewarding. Um, you know, at the Walton College, uh, you know, we have, a, we have about 8,000 undergraduate students and, you know, 600 or so graduate students. And, you know, if you were to put yourself back in those shoes uh, of being, you know, an undergraduate student that uh, is about ready to go out into the workforce. Based on everything you've learned, uh, what's one piece of advice that you would give? My biggest piece of advice is to take risks. Mm -hmm. And I think you have to frame risk-taking against your own personal risk profile, which is important. Um, what is risk to one person that's acceptable is not the same to another person. But take risks with things that make you uncomfortable, that aren't conventional, that aren't what all your classmates did. It's not for everyone, but it's definitely been right for me. And I'll I'll share a couple of examples. You know, I when I got out of high school, I couldn't wait to get out of Arkansas and I went away to school and was living my non-Arkansas dream. And it wasn't for me. I didn't like the city I was in. The school was expensive. I was going into debt. And I transitioned to, back to Arkansas, the place I was trying to leave. And everyone around me thought that was absolutely insane. And it felt risky because everyone said, what are you doing? You're on a track. Why are you changing your track? And it felt right to me. I had been to summer school in Fayetteville. I had loved it. I had lots of friends there. It was affordable. The classes were great. And so I did it, you know, and I similarly, when I moved to Houston to work at Compaq, like I didn't know technology. I don't know why they chose to take a chance on me, but I seized, seized that chance and said, okay, like I'm going to try that. Hmm. And you now I had never worked in advertising but the the sort of opportunity presented itself as I was learning and it was a growing space where I knew that I would be able to do some really interesting things. And so I took a chance on that and it, it's an, been an unconventional path, but it's been a path where I have learned businesses in a very breadth and depth way. 
And I've always had a job that I liked and that was interesting. And so that's my my advice. It doesn't have to always be financial risk. That, I mean, that makes me very uncomfortable. I, I don't like taking financial risk. It doesn't always have to be existential risk, but you have to be stepping outside your comfort zone and taking chances on yourself and taking chances on new functions, jobs, companies, cities. And when you do, I think really interesting things happen. And sometimes it doesn't work out and it's okay. We're certainly proud of the uh, of the career that you've made and particularly at Microsoft. Uh, so thank you for being willing to share your wisdom with us today. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. On behalf of the Walton College, thank you for joining us for this captivating conversation. To stay connected and never miss an episode, simply search for Be Epic on your preferred podcast service.